unfortunately, I think, you know, we're still to a good degree, we're of a mindset that the value, the quality of the product comes first. Mm. And if I can actually get a do good factor as well, that's a bonus. Right. And we've done some interesting studies on, we were looking at eco fuels and things before. And again, the company behind it was everyone wants to be more environmentally friendly. Mm. They're willing to pay more for, you know, reduced um, carbon emissions, et cetera, yeah? And then actually when we did the research, the reality was even a penny more per gallon, Wow, people wouldn't spend. That's it. That's why I, I want to do know. good for the environment, but yeah. You, okay. Yeah. But I was going to say that. So you're buying the same product from two different online retailers and yeah. one of them was two pound more, yeah. but they were going to plant 10 trees. Yeah. You're saying that still people are still in the mindset that by the one that's two pound less. Hey everyone, welcome to the first official episode of CX Insider in 2023 with me, your new host, Marcel. Today we talk to Duncan Thomas, the CEO and Head of Innovation at Pomegranate, a behavioral experience agency using neuroscience to construct meaningful customer journeys in more ethical ways. In this episode, we discuss the dark practices of neuromarketing, how technology is shaping consumer behavior, and what strategies customer experience agents can expect to employ soon. Unfortunately, we had some audio difficulties in the recording's first few minutes, but they normalized very quickly. So enjoy the episode. And if you do, why not subscribe to our YouTube channel for access to the best content CX Insider has to offer. By the way, this podcast is brought to you by ACF Technologies, global leaders in customer experience management solutions. So yeah, I'm head of innovation at Pomegranate. And... Uh, my job really is about bringing in sort of new advances in methodologies, sciences, technologies into the world of user experience and digital experience development. It's a lot of big words. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's a lot of big Do you big want me to tone that down a bit more? No, no, that's perfectly fine. You have to explain <laughs> what they all mean. <laughs> okay, I can do a bit of explanation for you. So what are we looking at? Let's break that, let's break that down, okay? User experience, okay? So in the world of digital experience, when you are working on an application, when you're working on, you're, going, you're looking at a website, you're buying something from a website, we design the journeys of you going from landing off that advert in Google right the way through to the website, and then how we navigate you through to that purchase at the other end of it and making sure that it's as exciting as it possibly can be so that you become a definite customer and not just a browser. That's the sort of the science that we put and so you have like your own dedicated labs and everything? We do have our own dedicated labs, yeah. So this is, this is a big part of the science that we've moved into, which is behavioral science. So as we know, lots of websites have got great quality technology now. It's all built on brilliant features and functions. You can buy in your Shopify's and things and they'll bring it out of the box. But the problem with that is lack of competition because then everybody looks the same. How do you differentiate? And this is where we've moved into behavioral science to change and get deeper in understanding what people actually need, how we segment audiences into much more smaller groups so that we can understand what actually makes them tick, what makes them excited, what stimulates them a hell of a lot more. So Duncan, you mentioned about behavioral science and that what you guys do um, in terms of sorting out that digital journey and almost as if it was like an epiphany. How did you come to that? Epiphany, very strong word. <laughs> Googled it this morning. <laughs> Actually, no, in all honesty, so I'd been in the world of brand strategy. We'd used a lot of things like ethnography and psychology. But in the agency at Pomegranate, we were doing a big project for a venture capital company who wanted us to understand why were people spending so much money on social games, 
Mm-hmm. Right? This is just virtual goods. You get nothing for it. So we did a big investigation and we started to get very deep into the psychology and the behaviors that are happening in these social games. What makes people spend up to sort of 500 bucks a day? Do you mean like in-game purchases? In-game purchases. Like virtual currencies in, exactly. in games. V-Bucks and, and that kind of stuff. That's exactly it. Right, okay. And, and back in the day, it was simple games like Farmville and stuff that yep. we were investigating. I think people would be spending up to $500 a day on this stuff. And what we basically, we ended up understanding is we were able to model the fundamentals of addiction in these games, right? Because of understanding the behavior, knowing what's happening psychologically. We could look at when to present a paywall. We could look at different genders, different age groups, and how long they'd spend, what were the different stimulation points within a game. And that's basically where the epiphany came from. I realized that digital experience, the way that we were doing it just from good technology, features and functions, was going to die. There was going to be an end point where we needed to get transcend that get into much more complexity and get closer to what humans wanted and how we're going to break down the barriers between humans and digital a lot more so that was where the epiphany came from and then where did you go from there oh new york (laughs) (laughs) where did we go from there so from that point, then we started to look at all the problems that we'd had, you know, in designing digital for clients previously, where we'd made assumptions, where they couldn't measure things. And we started to map and develop a whole framework around behavioral science to say, how could it answer these problems? What can we do differently now to change the way that we understand people? How can we research and analyze people's behaviors more effectively within digital experiences? So that's what opened us our eyes to the sort of the labs. We started working with a couple of great universities as well, like Bristol University, our experimental psychology division, to start to connect digital and metrics and data to human behaviors so we could develop patterns and we could also develop a framework of analysis. So when we're designing, we can properly look at what's really happening. We can move it up to emotional stimulation. And this is one of the things that drives me a little bit nuts at the moment. You'll see a lot of companies talk about behavioral analysis Mm -hmm. and they're just measuring click data, basically interaction data. Someone clicks from there to there, how long do they spend there? And they call that behavioral analysis. Emotional analysis. No emotion. <laughs> no. And where's the behavior? It's just, it's, yeah. it's, that's the fundamentals of seeing what's happening, not why it's happening. And what behavior gets you into is why things are happening. And we do things like driver modeling. So where you can ch- take people's motivations, their influences, and turn it into measures of what drives them to do things. What will detract them from wanting to do things. So that's the sort of the framework in the, in the foundations that we developed. Let's address the elephant in the room. Implementing strategies for customer experience based on behavioral psychology clearly comes with the question mark of ethicality. It's widely known that large corporations often use unethical practices like dark marketing tactics to nudge society towards certain purchasing and lifestyle decisions, whether the consumer is aware or approves or not. But speaking to an expert on the topic, what are some of the negative things that he's seen and experienced regarding psychological exploitation for a company's gain and why is it such a big problem? As you say, there's a lot of sort of there's a lot of negative user experience mechanics still in play. People are becoming more aware of them. So the simple things when you go to book a hotel, there's twenty other people looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. When you want to go and fill out a form and they're saying, Look, you've got one minute to complete this, or you've got to start the whole thing all over again. So these sort of these negative pressures that they put on you. And in, in the world of advertising, we've been using things like behavioral economics. So nudges, how we can sort of get you to compute. Usually you'll see three options, knowing that you want to drive an individual to the to the middle option. Mm. 
there's all these sort of little techniques that we use. So that's seeing the starts of the unethical. And then even in social media, you're seeing a lot of this happening now from the TikToks to the Instagrams, how you've got continuous scroll feeds, how you're so engaged. And then it starts to impact on our our biases, the things yeah. we've now invested so much time, we can't come out of this. We've got to complete. We've got to succeed. We've got to do something. And I need to feel good. I need to get as many likes as somebody else. So those, those are sort of a lot of the, the negatives. And our objective is how can we start to move it into much more positive development? So instead of manipulation, we talk about encouragement and influence. And that's a key part, again, of getting deeper into the sort of the behavioral understanding of things, because we can look at how can we positively engage people through learning and development, through education. So, for example, even a grocery shop online, it's a fairly monotonous experience, especially yep. if you know what you're after. But actually, you can educate people, you know, little what we call Easter eggs, stimulation on where did that product come from? What have I learned about better eating, mm. health, environment, etc. whilst I'm doing even a grocery shop, for example. So it's moving people up this, what we call the hierarchy of needs, just out of this transactional, functional way of doing things. And people want more. They want more. Now we talk about experiences in every other walk of life. And it's the same within digital. We don't just want a transactional interaction. Mm. We want to experience something. We want to get closer to the brand. Do we believe in it? Do we trust in it? Has it added more value to my life? Yeah, very good point. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Powerful. <laughs> we should record that. <laughs> so Duncan has briefly touched on how Pomegranate used neuroscientific practices to build more ethical customer journeys and place a focus on positive behavioral engagement instead. Let's take a deeper dive now into their strategy and learn how the agency's design process makes a difference. So a little bit I've just talked about. Yep. Obviously in terms of how we look at reversing negative pressures and what we call dark UX techniques, you know, mm. high pressure influences. So now it's about sort of more worldly wise experiences. So for example, a great case study we did for a rather large credit card company was saying instead of, it's what we, we call intrinsic and extrinsic motivation, okay? And simply intrinsic is what feels good, what makes me feel better that I'm developing or doing something good. Extrinsic is material things. I okay. win, I get material things, okay? So we look at this intrinsic and extrinsic rewarding. And for this credit card company, we looked at instead of just giving points means prizes, we looked at, okay, points could mean doing something better for my environment, for my world. And it was a test, a loyalty test to see if we could improve the engagement of customers in a positive way for this particular credit card. So first of all, it was about, you know, the more communication I did, with this company, the more points I'd, I'd mm. get. Now, I could still redeem it against mobile phones, technology, headphones. When you say communication, like you mean just spending money on the credit card? Spending money on like the credit card or reading their communications. So they oh, right, okay. sure people were reading opportunities, you know, new products, yeah, yeah. things okay. like that. I would gain, you know, a range of points for all sorts of different interactions. Mm. So there, we looked at, yes, they gave away all the sort of the tech options, but also you could accumulate your points for doing things, interacting with the company, being a good loyal customer. But they could, you could then, transform that into money mm -hmm. right now money that you could spend on a charitable donation and we picked sort of five different operations so there was some internationals i think we had philippines and haiti and then we had some very local ones again so people had the choice the autonomy of choice as to mm -hmm. where they wanted to invest it and then the things that we learned is you get more engaged the more input and interaction you can have with your donation don't just say i've just 
throwing money at a charity. I don't know what happens to it, where it goes. So we put a next layer. You could choose between whether it was education, whether it was utilities. And then okay. you could do, choose a final layer. If it was education, you could choose whether it was teachers or books or something. Okay. And what we found was that different types of people would get deeper and deeper in terms of their involvement of how they used their points. So instead of now just, I'm spending on my credit card to get some points, doesn't really mean mm -hmm. anything. Now we started to connect it to something much more meaningful. And I mean, they could interact with the communities once a month. They could actually go online and see, you know, these communities talking about the impact that's made. Now, what did that mean back to credit card? When we had tested about 500 people, and originally we were told, yeah, society's too selfish to do this type of thing, right? But actually, when we did that test, and we gave them the option, we flashed up the option of three other different companies, credit card companies, were going to give them far better off offers, cashback rewards, better gifts rewards, and more than 72% of those people chose to stick Wow. with this credit card because it had suddenly become an emotional engagement. Yeah. No longer is it transactional. Now I've got an emotional attachment. This credit card has given has been a conduit for me doing something better for my life mm. and better for the world and the environment. No longer is it just one of those simple transactional relationships. So that's sort of a, a deeper, yeah. long-winded example. No, that's good. Yeah, putting that it into example. Action. So you found that people really do value the intrinsic value more. They are, and I think we're told, you know, a lot of research is showing younger generations particularly because they can't afford so much at the moment, the cost of living and everything mm -hmm. else that's happening. They can't afford so much of the material things. So now it's about exploring it as real-world experiences. And also there's a, there's a real value of them wanting to do things back for their communities, their environment, the world, the climate, yeah. et cetera. So they want to have that sort of that balance, and it's, and it's a lot more important for younger generations now than I think it has ever been. So business is going well for you then? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know what? That's a great question because the, the, the issue is doing something that's relatively leading edge with behavioral science has taken us quite a long time for the world, the markets, businesses to sort of catch up with what we're doing or to yeah. see the real value in it. And, you know, so often people are very entrenched in certain ways of working and certain, you know, they just expect sort of functional things. They need to get it out fast. There's all those time pressures, money pressures, rather than actually wanting to invest in a little bit of deeper, deeper knowledge and something a little bit more progressive. It's a bit risky, as they would see it. So it's taken a while to build up to this, but now the world is coming around because mm -hmm. now what we've got is a lot of companies who are saying, right, okay, we're struggling. We can A-B test forever and a day, and we can't quite determine what's the right way to go. We're spending a fortune on all this testing, but actually what are our measures to say yeah. this is the right thing? So now they're looking for new doors to open. And behavior is suddenly saying, okay, actually we can look at our whole experience from a completely different dynamic. And that is from the customer experience level right the way down to the device level user experience. Pomegranate work closely with businesses to redesign their customer journeys. But how much influence do they have on the service aspect? Do their solutions also reimagine customer service in later interactions? And how? No, I mean, that's a brilliant question because actually it probably accounts for maybe a quarter of our work is all about okay. sort of service development now. We right. work with a couple of sort of big white goods manufacturers okay. um, where we did exactly that, redevelop the complete service experience, mm. where, again, it's looking at different ways. So rather than this sort of this very linear approach where I'd make a complaint, I'll expect a response, and they'll solve it in one of yep. two ways. It's now looking at this, this more holistic way of, again, where service can 
work from different behaviors, from different customer segments, from different pain points, and you're needing to build a service infrastructure that can accommodate all sorts of attitudes, mindsets, right. from a distressed position per person, mm -hmm. somebody's just risk averse. You know, and they're actually just trying to get things prepared, organize it, something's gone wrong, they're not in a panic, to mm. a young mum who's got her washing machine is just broken down and she's got three kids screaming. Yeah. Different ways that I need to be serviced and supported. Mm -hmm. And also how the brand, you know, again, it's the feel-good factor of the brand really care, or now they've, I've bought the product and it comes down to service mm. and they're doing nothing for me. And all of that big promise at the beginning has fallen apart. Yeah, exactly. So if that doesn't stack up, then I'm never going to buy again. And actually, the danger is now, if, it's, if my service experience is not really well constructed, mm. that I will go viral about that. It's too easy. One comment that goes down on Twitter yeah. goes across Trust in any of the of social media. these kind of things. Right. Yeah. Everyone reads this stuff now. You can't afford to have a bad service experience. No. And that's becoming more important, as we're seeing, for purchasing than anything else. It's one of the first points of review. Mm. How well have you been supported? How much trust can I put in that mm. service promise? Okay, now I'll buy the product. Optimizing your customer flow is crucial to creating amazing customer experiences. Through ACF Technology Solutions, your customer journeys could reach new heights of success by implementing tailored, industry-leading software that can handle all your needs from appointment booking to virtual queuing and even event management. Want to find out more about how ACF can help supercharge your CX strategy? Check the link in the description or head over to acftechnologies.com. The thing is, what I always believe with with consumers nowadays, we seem to be, we're impatient, we're also very well educated because we've got access to information, haven't we? So you want to buy a washing machine, you want that single mum with three kids screaming, yeah. you want to buy a washing machine, you can go on AO, you can go on Curry's, you can go on Amazon, yeah, um, and you can look at reviews, you can go on YouTube, all of those kind of stuff. So it's yeah. fair to say that people are generally educated on what they're buying yeah. and the prices are all published. Yeah. And then if you're saying you've then got a digital experience of buying it, and as long as that is easy, yeah. I suppose the importance then of the customer service side, if it does go wrong, yeah. is probably more because you could just end up with a poison view of a brand. And that's, yeah. that's the main thing now, isn't it? If you have a bad brand experience, yeah. you can just bash it. You that's can it. just, you can. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're right. And it's bad experience, but it's even that, that start point, as we've learned, there's so many micro components of that first purchase journey. Mm. So as you said, it can be easy, but easy's it's replicatable. Everyone mm. is trying to drive for easy. It's where's mm. the additional stimulation? Mm. When I'm looking at things, when I'm reading things, we have these biases in our heads, like an affirmation bias. I go to insurance or I go to buy my washing machine. I, I don't even absorb half the information because I know what to expect. I've done this yeah. before, so I don't absorb it. So we have to look at things from onboarding, how you start to seed a different pattern disrupt around mm -hmm. the brand. So suddenly I'm, it's okay, this is a bit different. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this. I'm gonna take this a little bit more information okay. in. And it's the way for the brand to start to seed a different relationship which goes right way through to purchase. But they're delivering that consistency of promise, building that trust through every step of my journey to purchase. And then it's got to be really consolidated through my service experience. Mm -hmm. You said earlier, are you busy? Is it a good time for business? <laughs> yeah. And actually, it sounds like it almost certainly should be. With sustainability, one of the things that we've seen on a digital journey is people having the ability to choose the least amount of CO2 do you think that people actually care about this now more than they've ever done when they're actually buying something? Or does it depend on the product? I mean, I just want to get your views on it, really. I think it's a really interesting one, and I think it's seriously contentious. I mean, as you guys have probably seen, you know, the amount of times you can buy something now, and they'll, they'll say, or you can plug in an extra 10 trees planted for this. Like yeah, everyone's jumping I mean. on the trees. Exactly. Planting one, right? There's going to be trees everywhere. Unfortunately, I think, you know, we're still 
to a good degree, we're of a mindset that the value, the quality of the product comes first. Mm. And if I can actually get a do-good factor as well, that's a bonus. Right. And we've done some interesting studies on, we were looking at eco-fuels and things before. And again, the company behind it was everyone wants to be more environmentally friendly. Mm. They're willing to pay more for, you know, reduced um, carbon emissions, et cetera. Yeah. And then actually when we did the research, the reality was even a penny more per gallon. Wow. People wouldn't spend. That's it. It's That's like, what I, I want to do know. good for the environment, but yeah, you, okay. Yeah. But I was going to say that. So you're buying the same product from two different online retailers, and yeah. one of them was two pound more, yeah. but they were going to plant ten trees. Yeah, you're saying that still people are still in the mindset that by the one that's two pound less. Yeah, and I'm, as long as the booking journey and the sales journey and everything is all is good. Yeah, they'll follow that. That's yeah. interesting. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to tar the whole you no, know, no, no. whole society with it, but no. it's, you know, we're we're growing towards it. But there's got to be this sort of this this combined reciprocal value aspect of it, and mm. I need to see value. And I think the other thing is trust because. There's this risk of, you know, the term of greenwashing. Yeah. Now everyone wants to get under the skin of it. It's like, don't just tell me you're planting trees. Where? How? Yeah. Show me they're actually growing. Absolutely. You know, give me something back. Because, you know, as you said, people scrutinize so they much do. more now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. As technology has evolved, has Duncan seen any major changes or shifts in consumer psychology? And how have those changes impacted what makes a winning CX strategy today? Well, it's, it's definitely changed. I mean, as we talk about patience, number one, and to a degree, sort of laziness, we're expecting things to be easier, to be simpler, to add a value to my life. And also now, you know, we become quite faddish about things as well. So that keeping it fresh, keeping it exciting, because only a click away to find something new. And every, mm. something new is coming out every day and every week. You know, the behaviors we've seen come back to a little bit your sustainability point, mm -hmm. where people are actually wanting to, first of all, have more of an experience. And secondly, they're wanting to have something that transcends more from just, you know, pure selfishness. They like the idea that they actually can combine it with doing something good out there in the world at the same okay. time. And I think that is the shift, this want for experience, which means, again, I'll get bored of transactional experiences unless I'm getting additional stimulation, unless this, what I'm doing, this interaction, my clicking through, my purchasing this, if I'm not buying into something bigger, if I'm not gaining something more valuable for myself, mm -hmm. then I'll get bored and then I'll go searching and hunting. I mean, you know, look, you've got search engines now that actually talk about for all the searches that they are planting trees and they're talking about it in the millions yeah. you've got you know social media where the more interactions you're having the more they're putting back into community services you've got you know there, there's lots of these fusions happening now where the experience is beyond just simply that moment in time but you're doing you're inputting to something mm. bigger so i think that's the that's the shift i mean again for us the big shift has been moving away from just you know, simply understanding linear journeys and touch points and interactions to now moving it into emotions, understanding what creates anxiety, what creates excitement and stimulation, being able to measure that to make sure we can build that in. You know, we've learned how to design journeys now. It, you know, it's, a lot of it comes from the gaming world. Does it? You know, you don't just do a flat line because you get no, bored. No, those linear games are bored. There's challenges. Yeah. You the know? classics, though, Sonic, Sonic the Hedgehog and stuff, are they pretty linear, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> even that yeah. you know because it's a the game designers have really brought us something quite useful because they you know create a, a stress level you've got to have achieved something mm -hmm. then simplify it for a little bit then take it up to another level and, you know in, in the old days we call it boss games and boss levels yeah. and things where you've got a challenge you've got competition you've got something more but in now it. people can just uninstall and just download another game That's whereas exactly. when i was younger 
Your mum and dad buy you your, I don't know, your Mega Drive game. Yeah. And they spend 40 quid on it. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you get stuck on a level, you've got to stick to it. You know, as social media and Web2 came, people have become more impatient with things like instant gratification. But you talk about how people seek, you know, more rewarding experiences. Do you think that consumer psychology will evolve much further with the metaverse or how do you see that changing? No, I think that's a really interesting question. And it's, you know, it's it's one to put a big question mark over at the moment. Yeah. I think there's a number of different aspects with metaverse. If we use it correctly, we have a lot of hindsight from where social media went wrong mm -hmm. and has taken people down negative avenues and what sort of negative psychologies come from it. So we should be able to learn from that before we really head into metaverse. But you're right, it's going to be a whole new level of behavior. I mean, at the moment, we're doing some investigations into what will be the next version of a car dealership. Because again, they rely on, you know, all sorts of different sensory yeah. sciences, the smells, the great customer service, the giving me the coffee, the salesperson looking and understanding. Now, if I'm going to do, have complete control of that myself mm. and I'm going to manage that within my augmented environment or my virtual environment, it's like, what do they lose? How can they still bring in yeah, those elements? Back. Yeah, yeah. Good point. How do we break down in a positive way these divisions between human and digital? But how do we bring in the right sort of the behaviors and we don't start moving people into these sort of zombie-like approaches, I guess, where... And, and yet that is the worry, again, from gaming. The more we've gone into sort of the quests and starting to use virtual reality, and it's like, how do you differentiate? You start to separate your real world from your virtual world. Yeah. It gets, you know, so there's a lot of interesting behavior things to Good understand. Believer avatars. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's scary okay. because then you know you've just you've just played a, a Spider-Man game and you suddenly walk out. And it's like I can't be asked waiting for the traffic. I'm going to climb the wall. <laughs> oh no, I forgot. No, hang on. Take the I got oh, no, no, no. Actually, it's a lot more difficult than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot to explore there. There is a lot to explore. There's a lot to understand. We've got a lot of hindsight if we use it properly. But I think also there's going to be some you know some potentially risky things that come out of it. And again. They talk about democratized world in the metaverse, and mm -hmm. I think that's going to be really important, but there's going to be some need to be some degrees of policing because yeah. you're going to have all the lovely, pink, fluffy, nice stuff at the top, and then we're going to have some very dark environments Absolutely. created underneath. Yeah, without a doubt. Now, Duncan has explored multiple cases of his work, demonstrating how behavioral psychology can be applied to create and boost customer journeys more effectively across a wide range of different organizations, which begs the question, is there any one thing he's observed to be absolutely vital for a satisfying, positive customer experience, regardless of context? I think it does come back to the beginning where I said, actually, the, the, the simplest, most logical change in breakthrough that we've made is when you understand behaviors, it flips everything on its head. Mm. That breaks down all our conventions of where we put labels on people, where we where we put we build personas around things like demographics, mm -hmm. and we make assumptions and we put in stereotypes. When yep. you get rid of all that and you look at behaviors, it's irrelevant in essence of the industry of the sector. You're actually looking at the the fundamental traits, and it, and it creates a whole new lens okay. for the way you design experiences. So I think that's you know that's a bit of the ripping up some of the rule book to some extent. We've learned, and actually we've also learned the issues of creating those stereotypes, those base assumptions that we keep repeating and keep They're everywhere. Through. They are. Everywhere. Oh, you're a Gen Z or you're a millennial and then therefore and you like it. to be you're served like this. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. it. Even, even take it to the top level. You're a patient or you're a customer. Yeah. 
And, you know, we see it time and again. You can be a student or a CEO. Now, your mindset between those two characters, I could have stereotyped you very easily in those two positions, yeah. right? But actually, when I look at you from a behavioral point of view, no, you both actually love adventure. You both love excitement. You both want to do something charitable, for example, right? So suddenly, when you break it down into motivations and behaviors, actually, the badges mean nothing because then I change the way I'm designing the experience and the journey for you mm. to that mindset. And I think that's the, that's one of the biggest things that, that sort of breaks down the walls between industries and it also starts to take us away from these broken conventions. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, why not subscribe to our YouTube channel for access to full-length videos, clips of chapters, and also YouTube shorts for our best moments. If you want to join our growing community of thought leaders, head over to LinkedIn and follow us at CX Insider Podcast to stay updated. Thanks again, and I'll see you in two weeks. But for now, enjoy our rapid fire questions. By the way, this podcast has been brought to you by ACF Technologies, global leaders in customer experience management solutions. Okay, so my first question is, do you have any kind of special morning routine that you do? Morning? What, for people who've died? No, like... <laughs> So when you wake up, what's kind of the, you know, my are you one of those 5am, oh go for a jog, work until 10 and then day starts? Or? Well, I've got a forced routine because I do have a extremely energetic dog and I have kids that need to go to school and the rest of it. So yes, I'm a, I'm a wake up at six in the morning, then getting kids prepared, then walking the dog for an hour, then back. And then it's first stand up of the day and nine and, you know, so 9am till typically sort of a 6.30 um day so yeah i'd love it i i hate regime i hate sort of you know the restrictions like that but unfortunately i have to follow quite a strict routine <laughs> okay lucky dog an hour walk every morning yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, trust me it would tear the house up if i did right okay fair enough and so what's your favorite thing to do in your spare time well for the seven minutes a week i get of spare time <laughs> what, what is my favorite thing i mean to be honest with you i i do love getting out and you know hiking and walking I, do, I really do now. It used to be rugby. That would be, but now it hurts too much. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been steamrolled as a vet a few times and that's just far too painful. So uh, yeah, getting out and sort of doing the hiking. I love mountain biking still. Yeah. It's got a lot simpler, my life now. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds it, yeah. <laughs> and since you obviously work with a lot of neuroscience and psychology and stuff like that, you look at, you know, the human brain. What is the kind of most interesting or weirdest thing that you've learned about the human brain? I guess the most useful thing I think that I started to discover, you know, when we talk about um, behaviors and emotions and you used to think about them as being intangible, how do you measure? How do you put any measures to that? Just now, the first thing that, that again, part of my epiphany that happened was understanding task-driven, you know, sort of frontal cortex where I can, we can measure if people are just doing tasks and you can measure degrees of apathy, you can measure mm -hmm. degrees of boredom, but then you can also measure the transfer into, you know, into the limbic zone where the emotions sit. You can start to see some firing now dependent on the intensity of the technology you're using and EEG and MRIs and things. But that for me was probably the most valuable thing I started to understand in the brain. We can actually see where people are just simply doing tasks or whether it's it's actually igniting on a much more excited emotional level. And why is it called pomegranate? Yeah, I ask myself. No. <laughs> the reality was when you cut a pomegranate in half, we always thought it looked quite like a sort of a brain. Okay. And there's oh. different components within a pomegranate, these segments. So that is basically the agency. It's always, it's always been about getting deeper 
into you know into into humanness and digital and actually it just it just worked and as we've moved more towards behavior it works even better very poetic perfect love it that was just literally finally what advice would you give to someone looking to start a career in marketing farming is far better farming is better farming <laughs> <laughs> what advice would i give i think being strategic you need to be able to get your head around not just tactical approaches to things. The way the future's moving, I, you know, we're quite deeply embedded with artificial intelligence and how much AI is going to start doing for people. Mm. That is going to remove jobs unless you can be using it as a tool. And it's not going to remove your job. It's going to take away production and mm. sort of, you know, mundane tasks, which is going to allow more creativity, yeah. but it's going to rely on you being more strategic. It's going to rely on you having a more clearer strategy and approach. And we're not going to be doing blanket things anymore. We're going to be moving to ultra sort of levels of personalization, which is going to increase sophistication. So getting into marketing, the more strategic you can get yourself, the more, you know, more, the deeper you can get into understanding how to develop and evolve strategies and how you can start to look ahead. That's probably going to be the most valuable thing I would say that marketers of the future are going to need. That's all from me, Adam. Did you have any? No, that's all good. I think they're probably the best quick-fire answers I've heard. Wow. Yeah, yeah, high praise. Good. Yeah, fair, yeah, definitely like, high praise. Start getting emotional. Yeah. Stop it. <laughs> no, that was great. All good. <laughs> <laughs>